You're listening to the, the best, best of the best of the best, best, of, the best, of, the best, best of MIP. Yeah, with honors. <laughs> This is Make It Plain. M.I.P. With Massimella Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. We continue our coverage of the 56th anniversary of the Selma Bridge Crossing Jubilee. Of course, Dr. King was called to Selma long before bloody sunday by amelia boynton he was not there on bloody sunday and of course that was something dr king regretted they were not expecting the bloodshed that occurred but of course he did arrive and lead the famous march from selma to montgomery how long not long well we had the honor of speaking with his son and namesake martin luther king the third during this weekend's jubilee Beautiful thing about Selma is that so many of us come back together uh, around this jubilee, around this anniversary of Bloody Sunday and the bridge crossing. It's, it's really quite organic because Selma's holy ground. Selma is sacred ground, uh, as a matter of fact. And so we are to be joined now by one who is the namesake of Dr. King himself, who is also continuing the work of Dr. King, who is flesh of his flesh and blood of his blood. Uh, we're happy and honored to have with us, and he's always made time for Selma as well, Martin Luther King III. My brother, how are you, man? I love you. How you doing? Right. I'm doing, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm, I'm yeah. good, man. I'm good, and good. always thinking good. of you and your family on this weekend and always so grateful this, to spend this, this time with you. Um, Martin, how, how old were you on Bloody Sunday and, and what do you remember about it? Uh, let's see, I would have been uh, seven, six, six and a half, seven, somewhere around there. Uh, and I don't actually remember much at that particular time. It was not until a later point um, that I started actually remember incidents. In, in, for example, I do remember in 1964, my father took me to St. Augustine, uh, Florida, where there was great turbulence, where white people poured acid and lye into the swimming pool, the public pools to keep blacks from swimming, where the Klan, the policemen would rally during the day to really watch us. And at night they would terrorize us because those same deputies who had been deputized by the sheriff were Klansmen at night. So I remember that in 64, but I don't remember the voting rights march in 65. Um, you know, obviously you see pictures and when we think about, you know, uh, Bloody Sunday, we think about John Lewis, but we need to think about you know, Hosea Williams, we also need to think about, you know, children like Cheyenne Webb Christberg and, and Rachel West. A lot, a lot of folks were involved. Of course, Ms. Boynton, as, as uh, you know, as, as Reverend Barber just stated, and, and so many others, Reverend Reese, 
uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to call names because I'm sure I'll miss someone, but there were several hundred people who marched that day and who were terrorized. Um, so in 1965, people were terrorized. Uh, we talk about terrorism today. And tragically, the terrorism that exists, as the FBI has said, is domestic. We used to talk about terrorism being something happening global uh, in the world that may be a, a pect impacting us where people would bomb us. But the domestic terrorism that was there by police and others in 1965 is back in 2000, in 2020, in 2020 and 2021. Yeah, no question about it. We, we're seeing that brutality. It, it's interesting. I always am grateful to you uh, and your siblings because you share your parents with the, wor with the world. And we look at Selma and see, as a matter of fact, both of your parents ultimately led the big march. Uh, and while you may not remember all the events of what happened at that time, what was it like when, when your parents were away from home at that age even? Did you, did you have a, an understanding of what they were doing and, and why they were away doing the things they were doing? I think I had an understanding subconsciously, but in my conscious mind, no. Um, it was mom and dad were away again. Uh, ultimately, I knew, again, subconsciously, that the work that they were doing was going to advance the struggle, advance our rights. But it, it was, uh, it was, you know, the, the fact that mom and dad were away was, was I won't say it was frustrating, um, <laughs> But at, at, at five, six, seven years old, I certainly would not be able to say I understood, although it happened on a number of occasions. Um, but I understood at some point that the work that they were doing was far more important uh, because we did always have uh, you, you know, responsible people taking care of us. Uh, we never we were raised properly in 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 and although our parents may not have always physically been there during that time, you know whenever we needed one of them, they were always there. I remember when I uh, was involved in sports in elementary and high school. I remember my dad even came to one or two of the games. I know and mom would always come. So uh, I didn't. I don't feel like I missed out on something because they were devoted to the cause. Uh, the cause is so much more important than whatever my own personal selfish need I maybe that I thought at that time was. And I, I came to understand that it took it took a minute. It didn't happen initially. But the other side of the coin is this was a way of life. So I really didn't know um, any difference. I, and I'll say the people around me, Dr. Abernathy um, and all of dad's lieutenants who worked with dad, they also had children and we knew their children and they were all away, but we all knew they were working for freedom. And we were, we were told that as children. So we understood it was so important for them to be engaged in the work that they were involved in. You mentioned the ongoing police violence that we're seeing. And obviously there's a relationship to some of the white supremacist violence we've been seeing as well, especially what happened uh, at the Capitol on January 6th. What lessons do you hear from your father's voice at this time and how he might respond 
to some of this to terrorist violence as you've described it? How might he respond to that, Martin? And are enough people today, do you think, listening to that same voice you hear from your dad? More MIP after this message. asks, how would you love a chance to save money on your insurance? Of course you would. After all, who wouldn't love a great deal, right? And when it comes to great rates on insurance for all of the things in your life, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners, condo, or renters coverage. You could save even more with a special discount when you bundle your coverages. Plus, add the easy-to-use GEICO mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more. And choosing to switch to GEICO becomes an easy choice. Switch to Today and see all the ways you could save with great rates and discounts. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com to get a rate quote or contact your local agent and get started seeing how much you could save. So I think the first thing is that he understood that we had to be resilient. Um, but in, in resilient in love, in nonviolence, in engagement, uh, and constructive. Uh, so you can't fight fire with fire. Uh, certainly water helps to fight a fire. So you have to figure out how do we create water for these volatile conditions that are at levels uh, that are beyond what we may be certainly should be experiencing at this time. And I think that uh, one of the things that he and his team understood, because they had been involved in Montgomery in 1955, and for 381 or 85 days, Black people didn't ride the buses. Very, very significant. That showed the power. Black ridership, 60%. Uh, after not riding for 381 days or 85 days over a year, the bus company had a serious deficit. Um, Now, in this context, when we're talking about terrorism, we've got to get some of our corporate entities to be engaged. And if they're not willing to be engaged because they can help us resolve these issues, then we may may need to look at uh, exercising our buying power somewhere else. Uh, we we spent a trillion dollars last year, black folk, over a trillion dollars at actually, and we've got to solicit and in, we got to engage the corporate structures to help us beat down these barriers of racism in this nation, a systemic racism, racism that is promoted and programmed all the time. That although we came together briefly as a nation, back at the tragic death of George Floyd last year and millions of people all over the world demonstrated, that energy, that galvanization is still available. And we must bring it together to focus, to really end what dad called was one of the triple evils, racism. You know, he talked about racism, poverty, and he said militarism, which I've sort of changed to violence. But we've got to galvanize that support to end racism for once and for all. And it's going to take all of us working, not any one of us, not any one organization. It's a collective. And there's enough of a collective goodwill out there for this to happen. 
Um, and, and not just in the United States, because really you're talking about all, all over the world, because there were protests in Europe. There were protests in Australia. There were protests on the African continent. There were protests in South America. There were protests in Canada. All of that energy can be galvanized again for us to once and for all as a world community in racism. And I think that's what my father would be thinking about mobilizing and pulling those pieces together uh, to eradicate this, this evil that exists within our society. You, you mentioned Montgomery. Uh, you mentioned St. Augustine as well. Your father really gave us, Dr. King really gave us a, a blueprint, a template of how to organize. And I wonder how you feel about something I've been saying to a lot of young people. You know, social media invites a lot of young people in the movement to make a national call or make a national statement. But what your father proved was that all politics really is local. He went and bivouacked in city after city and worked there. And, and frankly, Martin, when it comes to the police, the police are governed locally. There's no national oversight of police. Yep. And yep. what do you think? If people would, would even borrow his technique city to city, what do you think about the difference that would make, especially when it comes to the police? And let's face it, voting rights are governed locally. There's no national yet. We hope that there will be. But even when we talk about voting rights, those are local and county matters. What do you think about the application of your father's principles and strategies and techniques at the local level? More MIP after this message. Well, you know, uh, that would be outstanding, quite frankly, if we as a community, not just understood, but employed and implemented. You know, um, Birmingham was in 63, we know, but so is the Civil Rights Act in, in 63. The Voting Rights Act was in, uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Birmingham was in 63, the Civil Rights Act was in 64. Mm -hmm. But the Birmingham campaign and the March on Washington and other things, the bombing of the 16th Street tragic incident, uh, Baptist Church, and many other things precipitated but created. I mean, Dad used to say, uh, we must precipitate a nonviolent crisis. And that's what he and his team did so that, again, a Civil Rights Act would occur. But, you know, I'm not sure if technically, and this was all strategy, I'm not sure if the Voting Rights Act could have occurred before the Civil Rights Act. So clearly there was thought to all of this so that a campaign would be waged in, you know, it could have been anywhere in America, but it ended up being Selma. Part of it was because the residents of Selma were ready and Amelia Boynting and a whole lot of others were saying, you know, we need to be able to register to vote. And there was, um, the optics were very good. Because if you remember, Dad also had a campaign in Georgia in um, Augusta. And that was a different, that police commissioner had learned his lesson. Whereas in Birmingham in 63, you know, Bull Connor just acted like a fool. And the nation saw him acting like a fool. And that helped to create the prospect for Civil Rights Act. Um, certainly in Selma, Jim Clark, you know, acted like a fool. Uh, and again, all of these dynamics help propel things forward. Uh, but again, it was strategy. Uh, after the Voting Rights Act, fair housing in 1968. And so I think that, yes, we could, if we structured 
various communities and cities or towns or counties um, and engaged in activity. Because what, what they were able to do was engage in those campaigns until the victories occurred. Then they would move on to another one. Sometimes they'd be involved in one or two at the same time, but it's very important to finish a campaign. And I think that's what we have to do when we look at, you know, 43 states who are putting imposing uh, rights to restrict the rights of, of people of color, uh, of poor folk, uh, of students, of seniors from being able to vote. I mean, this is asinine that in 2020, excuse me, 2021, that we are still fighting for the right to vote uh, because someone decided, meaning the Republicans and the Republican Party, that the only way we can win is to cheat and to break the rules of the game by making it impossible or more difficult for people to vote. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like history repeats itself. If people do not know their history, they are doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past. It's not the same thing quite as, you know, counting the number of bubbles in a bar of soap, but it it's tantamount to the same effect by making it more difficult for people to vote as opposed to opening the process up as, uh, you know, as, as Dr. Barber just talked about, you know, same day registration, okay. voting online. I mean, all of these things, we do this with our money. Why should we not be doing it around our voting so that everyone perhaps would participate in voting? You know, and, and it seems when I hear you say that so passionately, I can even imagine your, your father saying, wait a minute, it, this stuff is coming back up again. I thought we just took care of this. I thought we handled this and we're still... Uh, having to fight for this. It's also interesting, folks, you, you heard Martin talk about how everything was purposeful, and it really, you know, appears that way. It was very strategic to go from uh, the right to uh, desegregated transportation in Montgomery to the right to desegregated public spaces in Birmingham, and then on to the right to vote, because after all, your, your dad did say, I mean, he talked about, did he not, Martin, uh, the sacredness of the right to vote and just what difference that would make in our lives if we had the unfettered right to vote uh, and if we exercised it. Um, so and part of it, too, is it not on us to exercise it, not to be apathetic, but to get out and vote. Right. There's no question about that. I mean, and that that's quite frankly, I don't I don't want to be um, counterproductive, but that's what we're going to have to do to overcome these restrictive laws that are being put in place. In other words, no matter what they put in front of us, we're going to have to overcome it. You know, here in Georgia, uh, where they're, pass, they're trying to pass these laws as one of the states, uh, Senator Warnock is going to have to run again in 2022. And the only way we're going to be able to win is to overcome those laws that the Republicans who are in the majority have put in place. Now, you, you, what makes no sense is you had a almost perfect election. Uh, if not, you know, we know that a Republican governor and a Republican secretary of state would have done all they could to make sure that their party won. But the rules allowed and worked very well. There was no fraud. So why are you creating more restrictiveness? Uh, that is a legitimate question, uh, which clearly, again, says that Republicans feel the only way they can win is they have to break the rules. They have to change, excuse me, change the rules so that they benefit. Another thing, by the way, Mark, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm sure you've been talking about it. I'm very concerned about the fact that in this country, we did a census 
with a pandemic and many people did not you know, stand up and, and, and be counted. And that determines the number of seats that we may have in a particular state, right. uh, how much representation, all of that, how much re, how many resources we get. And I think that something needs to be done to go back and say, okay, this was an unusual set of circumstances that nobody could have predicted. We need to do a recount to make sure that everyone is counted uh, so that we don't lose anything. Uh, and I think it's it's, it's kind of interesting because you know the Ray, uh, the excuse me the Trump <laughs> the Trump team sort of stopped that process as right. opposed to it ex- extended it a little bit, which could have helped. Yeah. So you know I think people have been so focused on survival, legitimately understanding right. why they are, that people probably did not focus on you know just saying standing up and being counted in a census scenario. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Lastly, Martin, you mentioned some of the other heroes on that bridge who are with your dad. You mentioned Hosea Williams. As we go, you shared this with me before, but would you share with our audience, you told me once about a story and experience you had with the great Hosea Williams, and he told you something about your father at a stage in your life that really did help you understand and embrace even more what your dad was about. Do you remember that story? Can you share it with us? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I went to visit him one day, and I won't give all the background story on why, uh, but there was some tension between uh, our families because, uh, you know, the King Center had a direction that my mother understood and visualized and wanted to achieve and did. And, you know, Jose Williams had a different uh, vision. And so I went to visit him to ask him, you know, how do we find ways to work together? He had a picture of my father on the back of his wall, and he, he said, you know, I love this man. Um, and he taught me all so many things, but he, most importantly, he conquered the love of wealth and the fear of death. Now, once he said that, and I thought about it, I forgot why I came to meet with him. Not really <laughs> forgot, but I'm like, that's profound. When you think about it, if you conquer the love of wealth, and the fear of death, you're virtually unstoppable uh, in terms of your quest. And, you know, that's who Martin Luther King Jr. was, but that's what Jose Williams said he taught him. He taught him about conquering the love of wealth and the fear of death. That's just profound and powerful. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, Martin, we appreciate you as always. uh, We thank you for sharing your family, your parents with us. Um, You know, every minute that they weren't with you they were with all of us in the movement and in the community and we so appreciate that and uh, we have the greatest amount of gratitude for you and your family's sacrifice uh and i thank you for being a brother to me so no, much love you. to you thank man you, my brother. yeah you. much love to you martin you look great man all right love you and appreciate you all right appreciate everything you do every day thank you brother all right bless all right, right. bye bye martin luther king the third uh ladies and gentlemen uh God bless him. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been Made Plain.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.